Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. All right, I'm going to ask, let's see how many of you actually pay attention. I said it last week. You wouldn't tell, you'd be able to tell by what my title. What am I speaking on today? St. Augustine. Wow, good. A lot of you remembered. Impressed, impressed. What am I doing here? This is going to be a different kind of series, and I'll tell you this, I am going to do this every single year. I think I like this time of the year to do it, where I am going to walk you through biographies. We're going to look at Christians that are not necessarily in the Bible, but have had a profound impact on Christianity. You with me? All right, now the problem is when you look at, right, and, and t- today's, here's our person, some of you, we just said Augustine of Hippo. And we'll get into, I'm going to show you a map or two, I'm going to give you a lot of detail about his life, but then I'm going to draw it to, what does this mean? What was, what was he teaching and, and how is it relevant for us in the 21st century? You see the time period, he was alive in the 4th century. But here is the problem, and I must state this, Right at the outset of the sermon, I won't spend a lot of time on this next week, but I had to spend, I felt compelled to spend a few minutes on it today as to why I am doing this. Because there are certain people, maybe people go, this isn't really what I'm in church to hear about. Like I thought you were just going to go to a passage in the Bible. No, I'm giving you the gospel. I'm giving you the Bible. But through a story of a saint, somebody that wasn't perfect, nobody was perfect except Christ, but somebody that lived a life worthy of talking about. And the problem is, as C.S. this is what C.S. Lewis said, I'm talking about Augustine, and one day I will get to just a whole sermon on the life of C.S. Lewis, which will be fun. It'll probably be only about three hours. Um, But today's will be a little bit shorter on Augustine. And he said, there's a problem if we assume that the past, he called it chronological snobbery, where he said, if we look at the past and say, That was in the past. What about today? If we look at everything and try to understand everything through the lens of what is going on in current society, we miss out. He said, this is Lewis, and I agree with him. He said, if you read a current book from today, your next book should be an older book or a classic. Because if you just read books that are from today, you're just getting the perspective of today. And here's the quote. How about this? Every age has its own outlook. So to see the blind spots of our own time and culture, we need to keep the clean sea breeze of the centuries blowing through our minds. That's my thesis as to why the impetus, the genesis for a series like this. We have to look at other people. They inspire us. I was at a meeting, if, and let me tell you right now, if I preached this sermon on St. Augustine 10 times, you'd hear 10 different sermons. So if you want more, pull stuff out of me. When you're a speaker up here, you, the audience, pull stuff out of the speaker. So I, there, are, there is so much that's in my brain, 
I can't share everything in one sermon, and I'm going to pick up on another character because the theme is similar next week. Pastor Linda thinks I should go through early history and walk us through, go like, you know, a thousand years later after Augustine in the fourth century and go to like Martin Luther and John Calvin and then walk all the way up to present day and like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and C.S. Lewis, those that have been so formative in our faith. I was at a meeting recently already. I'm just, I, it's going to be hard to follow notes today. So I'm at a meeting recently with, with just some guys just meeting, hanging out, talking, Christian brothers, and we're there. And I said to them, if I didn't have biographies, if I didn't have stories to look at, I shudder to think where I would be in my Christian faith. If I didn't have somebody like a Charles Spurgeon to look at, somebody that, the prince of preachers, an amazing preacher. If I didn't have somebody like a David Brainerd, somebody you may not even know that name, a John Owen, a John Patton, a, uh, who else? There's so many different, who, uh, who's the other one I'm doing next? Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, all these different people that, that mean so much to me and what they've given us in the church. So it's important for us to look at the power. And you know what? Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you are familiar? Famous passage, right? Chapter. And that's the, the, the heroes of the faith. That to me, that's a divine mandate that we look at the biographies of saints that have walked before us. And, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, when it goes on and it says, therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and all these people, as I walk and I get up tomorrow morning, I think about those people that have run their race. I think about a John Owen that had 12 kids. All 12 kids died. Every single one of them. I think about a John Bunyan who's in jail and he writes Pilgrim's Progress. I think about these people and the problems and they make my problems look small and insignificant. And I say, if those people could do it and they were ordinary people, then you get your butt up and you get in the race today. You need to be inspired. I'm going to inspire you today. I'm going to give you a story about a man that is incredible. But again, hear me out. Flawed. Every single character we're going to look at, flawed. No one's perfect. I love what it says here in Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. We are to look at people that have, you know, went on before us. We are to imitate what they did. Because ultimately, they were imitating Christ. They were looking to become more Christ-like. We don't venerate. We don't worship these people. But these people give us insight into being a follower of Jesus Christ. We're not looking to worship them. Don't come up to me afterwards and go, how could you devote a whole sermon to somebody that's not even in the Bible? Listen to me. This individual you're going to hear about today knew Christ Jesus. And I want to know Christ Jesus. And I think you're here because you want to know him better. It also says, look what it says in Romans. I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why we're looking at people like this. So that his name, the name that is above all names would be glorified and ultimately it would be exalted. How many of you know the movie Dead Poets Society? I was just thinking about this in the morning. One of my all-time favorite movies. Do you remember that scene with Robin Williams? If you don't know the movie, he's, he's a teacher at a really prestigious private school. And he gets these kids and he's a literature teacher. And it's the first day of class. They've never met him before. And there he is. And he, t- he goes in the class and he's whistling and he's... 
and he just takes the kids outside of the classroom and he brings them to this big glass case. And there are pictures of people, students, former students from years ago. And he says, put your head, put your faces up to the glass. Can you hear them talking to you? And all the kids are like, this guy's crazy. What's wrong with him? And then they put their heads up, right? And, and they're like kind of listening and he's behind them and he's going, Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. You and I need to go back and listen to the stories of other people. Their lives speak to us. If you don't have dead heroes, that's a problem. You need to have dead heroes. You come into the prayer chapel at my house in the backyard, I have pictures. A.W. Tozer is there. C.S. Lewis is there. Dr. Martin Luther King is there. People that weren't perfect, but they're heroes of mine. Because you know what? I'm crazy enough to think if he can use ordinary people like, and they're all brilliant. I'm not brilliant. They're brilliant people. But if he can use people like that, why can't he use me? I am crazy enough. How about you? Why can't he use you? He wants to. Let's feel the weight. Are you ready to feel the weight? Put your seatbelt on right now. We're going on a ride to North Africa. That's right. That's where he's from, Augustine. We're going to the fourth century. But before we go there, we've got to pray. Lord, Lord, you have put a fire inside of me. Father, I ask that the fire that is inside would be unleashed. Lord, I ask that people would come to know and see you. They'd get a greater revelation of you, Jesus, through the life of one of your saints. Lord, I ask that his story would so minister to people and that they would see that there's hope for them, regardless of what their past says, regardless of what happened, Lord, that they have a bright future with you. Let them see, Father, that sovereign joy in you is really possible. A joy that is lasting, a joy that can sever the pleasures of sin, Father. Let us see that today. Father, I ask that if there any spirit, Lord, I ask that the enemy in any way would try to detract from what you want to have. Lord, you put this on my heart. I didn't just come up with this. Lord, this is what you want right now. So, Lord, I ask, I take your blood over this whole, the rest of the time. Lord, I ask that ears would hear. Lord, I ask that eyes would see and ears would hear something new, Father. Give us your word today through the life of this one, St. Augustine. Excuse me. Christian History Magazine. Ready? You need to feel the weight of who he was before I can go on. Now, you may feel in the beginning, I'm going to give you his story. If you don't understand his story, you won't understand the end when I talk about what is relevant and what he taught, what is the pinnacle for him of what we should be, how we should be living as Christians. Christian History Magazine. Look what they said. After Jesus and Paul, Augustine of Hippo is the most influential figure in the history of Christianity. Wow. After Jesus and Paul, this guy is next on the list? Kidding me? Yeah, so just that alone, me saying that to you, you know what's wild? You go to the Catholic Church, Church, they venerate, they extol, I mean, they like look at St. Augustine, obviously he's a saint, but he's somebody that is revered. I think in the, you know, the Protestant side, us, We don't talk enough about people like this. And it's interesting, too. You want to hear about how amazing this guy was? 
Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. John Calvin quoted Augustine a thousand years later more than any other theologian. So the father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, is really an Augustinian monk. So the Catholic Church, right? Are you following me? They revere him, right? But it's, they revere him, but it's interesting about Martin Luther and what he did for Protestants. So it's kind of wild when you look about this guy and his life. Really interesting. Benjamin Warfield, who was a scholar from a long time, over a century ago, a Princeton scholar, this is what he said. Augustine entered both the church and the world as a revolutionary force and not merely created a period in the history of the church, but determined the course of its history in the West up to the present day. Did you hear that? Up to the present day. Today, his literary talent is second to none in the annals of the church. I attest to that. The whole development of Western life in all its phases, not some, in all its phases, was powerfully affected by his teaching. I will be sharing with you as well my PowerPoint. I have a lot of PowerPoint slides. A lot. Because you need to feel and see in his own words what he's actually saying. If there is one book... I would ask for you to read. And you know what? Can I be brutally honest? I'll lay it all out on the table. You look at other religions out there, and I get embarrassed for us as Christians that so many other religions, I feel like people are so much more interested in looking at the history of their faith. Whether or not you say, that's so misguided. I'm even watching, oh, I'm going to digress, but I have to, all right? I've been very careful with what I watch on... I'm trying to be more careful with what I watch on TV. Just w- with what I can do with my time. What I mean, let's maximize the time that you have. All right? So, Megan turns me on to... How many of you saw the show about Scientology? Anybody watch it? The woman that was... I don't even know what TV show she was from, but... What is it? Yeah, you know that, right? Everyone knew what that was. See? We all know what that is. So, you had that show, but I was amazed that... And Scientology, I'm just bringing it up because it's not a religion. It's a cult. I mean, anybody... You watch, I didn't need to see the TV show to know that it's a cult. And most of people that have anything to say would agree with that statement. But I was amazed at, even though people were brainwashed, I was amazed at the lengths people would go to look back at their leader and how they would study and pour over these books. And I said, what's wrong with us? I feel challenged and I walk in and I, you know, some of this may not resonate with you today. And that's fine because, and I can't, I can't go there yet because I have to get to that later on. But it's hard going in. The challenge is coming in going, no one wants to hear about St. Augustine, buddy, by the way. That's what you feel. It shouldn't be that way. We should be a people that go, can you teach me, like, who, who's next? What are you going to teach about next? I want to learn more about people. These are great Christians, and they, have, they changed the world. They impacted the world. Teach me more. So that's a battle, being totally honest with you. All right, anyway, that's over. All right, let's go to, here's the map. Hard to find a really good map that can show you. I'll try to highlight this for you. All right, here you go. This is the, the age of the Roman Empire, 323, right? Constantine, how many of you remember? Emperor Constantine, Christianity becomes a world religion. Understand during this time of, of Augustine that Christianity, yeah, is, is now something people were persecuted for, you know, over, over a century, two centuries, right? People are being persecuted, but now Christianity is something that you can follow. Christianity is something that hey, people are more accepting of. But understand, right at the outset, 
there were other exotic religions that were coming in from the Far East. So here is, right, here's a picture of, if you could, oops, if you can see the picture here on the bottom, right, I don't, I, I need glasses big time. Here's an area I'm going to talk, this is Northern Africa. He was born, Augustine was born in what is present day Algeria, in Africa, right? You may not think, I don't know what you know, walking in the door today about this man. But here he is, uh, he's born in a place called uh, Thagast. He will spend a lot of time in this place called Carthage. He will eventually make his way over to Rome. And then finally, he'll end up in Milan, Italy, all right, today. So let's, let's get into, there's an, actually, I have another picture for you. This is, this is maybe, there it is. So, ooh, there it is, uh, Thagast uh, in Northern Africa. Again, you may have heard he's Augustine of Hippo. This is the place where he will spend a lot of his time, right? He's going to try, and this is wild, and this is so how the, this is so how ministry is. This guy moves after he gets converted. I'm going to take you all through his conversion. After he gets converted, he winds up going to this place, Hippo, because he doesn't want to be a bishop. He wants to just kind of go there and have like a little monastery with his buddies, right? Form this little group. And then once he goes there, after you hear the story, they're like, no, you're going to be the next bishop. He's like, I don't want to be the bishop. You're the next bishop. It's the way ministry really works. A guy that wasn't really looking to be called to something, but he was. Now, here is the one book. I promise it'll get better. I'm, I'm almost done with the, giving you just all the background. If there's one book you can read, it's the Confessions. It is the only book that scholars say it's 352 pages it is the only book that is entirely a prayer to God. The whole book, it's broken up into different parts. If you could only read one, read book eight within the confessions. That is the most amazing piece in the book. You read that book and you tell me your life is not changed by meditating on that. If I am harpooned, you put me on a, on a desert island, you put me somewhere and you say, James, you have three books to pick. I'm going to pull my hair out because it's going to be a hard decision. But I'll tell you what, Confessions is on my short list. I read a lot. It's on, my, it's, it's on this list. That's how good it is. It is one of the best books ever. He wrote other books, City of God. Some of you, I talked to somebody, maybe Bob, we were talking last week. He brought that one up. But if you just read, if you read one thing and you're like, I can't read 350 pages. Okay. Just go to the one book, go to book eight, and you check that out, and you tell me he doesn't have something to say, or it, it's just not amazing. So here he is. He is a young man who didn't come from a family of, of real means. His father, Patricius, was a, was a farmer. They're a middle-class family, but they said that he has two other siblings. So there's three of them, and his parents said, how many of you know the name Monica, his mom, and what she's famous for? Anybody just in here today, you know the story of his mom. Anybody know the story of his mom? You've heard the name before? No. Okay, good. That's all right, because you're going to learn something new today. His mom is the one who prayed for him his entire life until he's actually converted. Entire life and follows him. You know that movie? What's that movie we love as a family? Bob. Bob Wiley. She follows him wherever he goes. You think she's not there. He gets on a boat and he's like, he lies to his mom and he goes from this place, Carthage, to Rome. And, and he thinks he's gotten away from her. And then she shows up. Honey, I'm here. Like a bad dream, right? As some of you moms, right? You can relate. You can understand that. Yes, absolutely. So he, he doesn't come from a family of real means, but his family decided they didn't have enough money to send all their kids to be educated. And they chose Augustine. 
What was that like? And I didn't, re- I didn't have anything, but with the sibling rivalry, they choose, all right, Augustine, you're the oldest, we're going to choose you. He's brilliant. That's why they really chose him. His dad was a philanderer, was, you know, a womanizer, which is something we're going to get into in his life. Uh, th- that'll be a point maybe for some of you, if you're really bored, you'll, you'll wake up. Um, yeah. So, and this is what he says, as I grew to manhood, so, and all of these are from the, conf- all of my quotes there are from the confessions. As I grew to manhood, I was inflamed with desire for an excess of hell's pleasures. My family made no effort to save me from my fall by marriage. Their only concern was that I should learn how to make a good speech and how to persuade others by my words. All they cared about, and, that, and that's not entirely true, because I just said to you before, his mom's a Christian. His dad dies, and right be on, basically almost on his deathbed, he becomes a Christian. From his mom's influence, not from him, because he won't become a Christian yet. But here is a man, when he says that, inflamed with uh, desire for an excess of hell's pleasures. He was a sex addict. Can I just call it like it is? This guy, before his conversion at the age of 32 years old, he had sex every day. Every single day. You can use your imagination. I'm not going to go crazy with that, but use your imagination. This was a man that was really far from God. Here is a man that is soul searching. And his great desire, his chief desire from the time that he's young is he wants to be a, a great redita- you know, rhetoric guy. He wants to be a great orator. He wants to have his own school. Now, to be somebody that taught rhetoric in the ancient world was you were like a law professor. So you would be like a law professor. It would be quite prestigious. People would look at you as somebody that had a lot of insight. And he's really well-read, whether it's uh, Cicero, Virgil, Hortensius. I mean, uh, he gets involved. And this is where I have to really I'll try not try to stay with me. He gets involved and he's a soul. So he's looking for truth anywhere he can find it. And he's looking to all these different belief systems. There's something called Manichaeism. And this guy, Manny, and he comes out, Christ was never born. Christ never died on the cross. So all these exotic religions, as they're seeping into Roman society, he kind of gets swept into it. But it gets to the point where they're like, they keep telling him. And this one, this one not a belief system, Manichaeism, that he gets involved in, the leaders tell him, wait till this guy Faustus comes and he'll be able to explain there. All your questions, he'll answer everything, right? He'll answer everything. He winds up meeting the guy one day. He knows more than this guy does. The guy says, can you teach me about all the literary works? Can you sit down and tutor me? And he's like, what? I thought you had all the, the answers. He's like, I'm done with this. Becomes a Neoplatonist, Plato. How many of you, right? The philosopher Plato. There's a revival in terms of people looking at the teachings of Plato. He gets really into that. This man is brilliant. If you're going to spar with him intellectually, you better know the classics. You better know what you're talking about. So it takes a while before he's ultimately going to become a Christian. His mom, before he leaves, so he's going to be home for a while. They send him to a school in his younger formative years. And then he's going to go to a place called Carthage. I showed it to you on the map before. All right. Uh, here it is right here. There's Carthage again in North Africa, not that far from Tagas where he grew up. And he goes there. You want to hear what his mom says to him? This is what his mom says to him. Do not commit fornication. And above all, Augustine... Do not seduce another man's wife. So his mom said to him, he writes this. You can read the confessions. You'll see it in there. He goes off to this place, Carthage, where he's going to become a teacher. 
And this is where he's going to start to become somebody that people know about. Oh, this guy, Augustine, he's an amazing teacher. And this is what he says when he gets there. I went to Carthage where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. My real need was for you, my God, who are the food of the soul. I was not aware of this hunger. I was at the top of the school of rhetoric. I was pleased with my superior status and swollen with conceit. It was my ambition to be a good speaker for the inane purpose of gratifying human vanity. You got to stay with me. And listen, let me tell you, I'm raising you higher. This, and I'm, I'm not like patting myself on the back. I don't, people don't do stuff like this. Yeah, this is maybe you like, this is kind of risky you're up here doing this. This is important. I'm raising you higher and you may not get everything as I say it to you. And you look at the quote, I've read these things hundreds, you read them over and over again. You're like, wait a second, what does he really mean by this? But that's what we need. We need to be taken higher. You need to be challenged. I'm not going to sit down here and just entertain you all the time. That's not the goal. That's, I'm not here today. You notice, I'm not, I'm not making a lot of jokes because I don't need to. Because this story stands on its own. So he says that, and he's there. Now he takes up a concubine in Carthage. Takes up a concubine. For 15 years, he's with this woman. He's not allowed to marry that woman because in the ancient world, if you were of a different social class, she was below him, you're not allowed to get married. So he's not married to her. He would cheat on her and stuff too. Shocker, the things that I've showed you and said to you already. But he has this concubine who he did love. Everything we see written about her, he did love. They had a child, Adeodatus. Isn't that a great name? Adeodatus. Love that. It's a great name for like an animal or something, you know. I, maybe not, not for a kid, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe for, well, anyway, nowadays you can name their kids whatever you want. When you're naming kids after fruit and what have you. You do whatever you want. So he taught in Carthage for three years, but he was disgusted with the lack of discipline by the students. Now, if you don't know, and you're, you don't know me, I'm a high school teacher. So I know, I, I know what it's like to teach kids that can be, you know, sometimes they're not as disciplined as they should be, or they don't really want to be there. So he's disgusted. He's there for three years, and he's like, these kids don't want what I have. Testing pearls of wisdom, and they're just like, Whatever. So he said, you know what? I'm going to leave there. He winds up leaving Carthage and he sails across the sea and he heads to Rome. He goes to Rome now. You would think, oh, unfettered. I can, my dreams and desires. He teaches in another school there and he's a great rhetorician. He's somebody that people admire and they respect even more. He's making a name for himself. But how about this? Talk about how people are people. doesn't matter really what time period you look at. You know what the students did in Rome? And I love this story. The students would, they'd sign up for his class because they heard he was a great teacher. They would tell their friends, I'm in this class with this amazing teacher, Augustine. Do you know who he is? Yeah, yeah. And they would sit in the class for a little while. When tuition came due, they bolted. Peace out. And they wouldn't pay. And here is this guy, Augustine. He's stuck. He's, he has this school. He's teaching them, right? He's spending time with them. And then the day comes, you need to pay your tuition bill. And they just leave. But it is in Rome where he would make a bigger name for himself. And then you look at the rest of his life. So just understand this. From like 19 to like 32 years old, right? He's teaching. 32 years old is going to be the mark. And it's one of the most important days in the history of the church when he becomes a Christian. All right. Then after this, he gets his, his lifelong dream. The, the government, the Roman government offers him... 
a, a school of rhetoric in Milan. Now, you may think Rome is the pinnacle, right? In the ancient Roman world, you would think he'd want to be in Rome. But this was a very prestigious position where he'd be. And the, you know what he was? How do I put this? He was kind of like the propaganda machine. If the, if the Roman Empire had a war or something happened, he was the guy that would talk about it. He was somebody that would write about it. So, somebody that is seeking, he's soul sick. In his words, these are his words, he said, I was soul sick. He's searching to and fro, looking. Now he's in Milan. He has everything that his heart could ever desire. He winds up having influence and he winds up having affluence. He winds up sitting, though, and here's, here's what's interesting. He's going to sit under. We talk about, I said to you earlier, like Martin Luther, and ha- that he was an Augustinian monk, and John Calvin, how he quoted him. Many of you probably never heard this name. How about Ambrose, who was a bishop in Milan. It's the first person Augustine meets. That is a Christian. He looked at the Bible at first. When he was younger and as he's getting older, he's like, what's the deal with all these people in like the Old Testament, like the concubines? And that's just fables and fairy tales. For the first time in his life, by the way, his mom is there. His mom followed him. Everywhere he went, his mom followed him. He lied to his mom and said he put her in a church when he was in, uh, where was, when he was in North Africa, when he was in Carthage, she followed him and says, mom, yes, yeah, stay here. I'll get you tomorrow. I got to go see some friends and do some things that night. He takes a boat and goes over to Rome. She doesn't. Then the next day gone, where, where, where'd he go? I have no idea. She eventually finds him shows up in Milan, right? So she's there with him in Milan, but he sits under the teaching of this guy, Ambrose. Now, Ambrose is the only one that can spar with him intellectually. He's the only one that has read all the classics. Cicero, Hortensia, he knows all, he, he gets all this stuff. And he's teaching him, and he's a Christian. And I bring that up too, because how important it is that we as a people, we should be students of culture. There is nothing wrong with understanding, I don't just read Christian works. I quoted earlier in the meeting, I quoted something from a New York Times columnist. He's not a Christian, but he's somebody that understands culture. Something that's relevant for all of us today. So he sits under this guy. Now, we made it. You made it. If you're not sleeping and drooling on yourself, you made it to his conversion. (laughs) Couldn't wait for this. One of the most important days in church history. Pinnacle of his career. He's a renowned teacher of rhetoric in Milan. But he's having a crisis. It is late August, 386, and he's almost 32 years old. He's with his best friend, Olypius. And they're sitting there at this villa that they shared together. So they kind of had this school, and they would like be like, they were kind of ensconced in their little villa, and they would just philosophize, and they would talk about the meaning of life, and they would quote all these great authors, and they would just kind of go on and on, right? Well, he's sitting there talking to this guy, Olypius, and they're talking about an Egyptian monk by the name of Antony. And they're talking about the sacrifice that Antony made with his possessions and everything, how he lived his life. And something starts to happen in Augustine. He's sitting there. Why don't I give you his words? Yeah, that would be good. There was, I can't, I can't, I got to read from my own. I can't read that. What does that say? Uh, There was a small garden attached to the house where we lodged. I now found myself driven by the tumult in my breast to take refuge in this garden where no one could interrupt that fierce struggle in which I was my own contestant. I was beside myself with madness that would bring me sanity. How good is that? I was dying a death that would bring me life. I was frantic, overcome by violent anger with myself for not accepting your will and entering into your covenant. 
I tore my hair and hammered my forehead with my fists. This is a guy, he leaves his friend Olypius because he doesn't, he's starting to get emotional. And that in the ancient world, that wasn't some, that wasn't code, that wasn't good. So he moves out and he goes into this garden. Picture this now. And he said, he throws himself under a fig tree. He's crying because there's this battle that has been taking place. This battle for his soul. Friends, can I sit, just stop right there for a second and digress? There is a battle for your soul. We spend so much more time talking about work, talking about the Super Bowl, talking about all these things that are just stultifying. They're not really inane, as he said earlier. They're things that really have no meaning. And then we come into a meeting like this. You know what we do? It's kind of like Facebook. I like it. Nah, I like the music today. I dislike the music today. I didn't like this. I like this. There is a battle for your soul. There is so much more going on. And Augustine is saying that here, that there is a battle for his soul. He throws himself under the fig tree. And then he says this. He says, I was held back by mere trifles. They plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered, are you going to dismiss us? From this moment, we shall never be with you again forever and ever. This is what he's hearing. This is a man that has had sex almost every day of his life from the time he's in his teens. And he's battling, but it hasn't given him, listen to me, and you young people, it hasn't given him soul satisfaction. Because he realized there was a gaping hole. It was an empty abyss, as Pascal said, the French philosopher and mathematician. An empty abyss that can't be filled with finite things. Only the infinite can fill the abyss. And he's starting to see it. And then listen, as he's crying under the fig tree, this is what he says. He says, how long, how long, tomorrow and tomorrow, why not now? Why not at this very moment make an end to my uncleanness? Why not now? The wrestling that is taking place. He wants it, but he's still, there's something inside of him that is fighting it. And then this part is crazy. He hears in the distance, he hears a young child say, tole lege, tole lege, pick it up and read, pick it up and read. And he's going in his head, is that a nursery rhyme that I heard at some point in my life? Is that a story? Is that like a little fairy tale or something? And he realizes, no, that's nothing I've ever heard anymore. Take it up and read. And he realizes he is hearing God's voice telling him to pick up and read the scriptures. Friends, listen, he runs inside where his friend Olypius was. And on the table, they had the letters of the Apostle Paul. And he said to himself, I'm just going to open up. I'm just going to open up the book. And wherever my eyes set, that's what I'm going to read. Do you want to see what his eyes, the first page, the first thing he sees? This is what he writes in the confessions. Go back. Jeez. Okay. Where is it? Did I not? Put, oh, you've got to be kidding. Well, I didn't put I'll just have to read it from there. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Really? Are you kidding me? And put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is real history. Oh, now you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. This is why I'm telling you the story today. 
This is top three days in the history of Christianity or five, whatever you want to put it at, arguably. This is an amazing day in the history of Christianity. A year later, that following Easter in 387, he would be baptized by Ambrose. Interesting, even his best friend, Olypius, and his son, Adeodatus, all three of them would be baptized with a mother that was there who waited 32 years. 32 years. Parents, you mothers in here, don't come up to me complaining. Don't go to the other pastors in this church complaining. Are you on your knees praying for your kids? Are you praying? Are you up in the middle of the night praying for your kids? That salvation would knock on their door. My kids are wayward. They're far. Here is a mother that prayed for 32 years that her son would come to know who Jesus Christ was. He writes about when that happened and Monica found out she was overcome with joy, jumping up and down. And here's the part. Oh, this is where Hollywood needs to do something with this. I'm ser- Listen to me. I'm serious. Stay with me. At this point, only a couple of months later, his mom is going to die right after this. Do you want to see what he writes in the confessions? She's on her deathbed. His brother is bawling his eyes out. They're not even back home where her husband passed away. And that's usually you wanted to be buried with your husband. She doesn't care that she is far from home and she's not in North Africa. Right. She doesn't care. She's in Milan. She's like, I don't care. Listen to what she says. She says, then my mother said, son, for myself, I have no longer any pleasure in anything in this life. Now my hopes in this world are satisfied. I do not know what more I want here or why I am here. And she died. Those are her last words, according to Augustine in his confessions. There is a mom that prayed over and over and over again. And she says, it doesn't matter anymore. I don't care. It's all, this is it. To see my son know Christ. Friends, I pray for a lot of things for my kids. But number one on the list, more than anything, I don't care what profession you decide. I don't care what you're going to do, what your vocation is going to be. All I care about is that you love Christ. That you love him with everything, with your heart, with your mind, your soul, everything. That you love him with every inch fabric of your being. That you would love and want to know him in a greater way. How about you, parents? Is that what you want for your kids? When your kids are far, like Augustine was, and they're out doing all these other things. Are you still going to pray for them? Or are you just going to give up hope? You better not give up. You have to keep praying. You better get with other people. Other people that can help inspire you, help carry you through. But don't you complain to me if you're not praying. Don't complain to me if you don't come to meetings. Don't complain to me if you don't go to small group meetings and everything isn't working out. And where are your kids? How come God doesn't hear? Well, you know what? Where are you in your own life? Are you praying? Are you standing? Are you believing? It's part of the problem. Parents, wake up. Come on, wake up. Where are you? So he gets baptized. By the way, they kept, they, I mean, crazy. They, you were naked. They baptized you. You were naked. You were dipped in that water three times. I give anything not to see him naked, but I give anything. I give anything to really to have like video footage of to see that event, to see what Monica's face was like. She's watching her son that she's waited so long for. Parents, may you get a Take that picture. If life is hard for you, if there's a kid that's supposed to be in this church and they're not here, you remember this story. Don't you forget this story. 
You remember what God did for her and God wants to do for you. You remember that. Don't give up on him. So he, he says after that, he ret- I told you the rest of his story of what he, and giving you like really the Reader's Digest. This is what he said though after that, after he becomes a Christian. He becomes celibate for the rest of his life. From 33 to 76 years old, he becomes celibate. Celibate. A man that, this, oh, this is so good. How sweet, are you with me by the way? You with me? Can I keep going? All right, okay. How sweet all at once it was. You know, I don't, I'm just enjoying myself. I don't really care what you think. How sweet all at once it was to me to be rid of these fruit, fruitless joys, which I had once feared to lose. Remember what we said earlier? He said earlier, you drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. Oh, Lord, my God, my light, my wealth and my salvation. You should clap. How do you Nobody's Not for me. This is beautiful. It's a beautiful story. So he says this. He goes celibate for the rest of his days. Now, let me just say a word on that, because I heard somebody say, that's great. Listen, that marriage is a beautiful thing. Right. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Sex is a beautiful thing. He understood his weakness, though. He was so... And for some people, singleness is... I mean, God gives people the gift, the grace to be able to do that. But he understood his weakness. And he becomes a different person. Augustine is not going to be the same person. But he sees and he understands. And why the title of the message is Sovereign Joy? What does that mean? What is he saying that God has given him a sovereign joy? What does that mean? He's, he's not saying, now his, for, the, for the message for us relevant for today, he is not saying he's given us rules to follow and you need to set your willpower. You need to do it on your own. You can make this happen. You can have these affections for God. You can have these feelings for God. When you leave here today, you better go feel this way like Augustine did because if you don't, you're a failure. All right, let's pray. That's not the message. He's, that's not what he's saying here. Do you understand this? He's saying there is a sovereign joy. You know what grace is? You know what the gospel is to him? He's saying that you can find pleasure, ultimate pleasure in God. If you find ultimate pleasure in God that surpasses, that cuts away and severs the pleasures of of sin in this world. This is not, and please understand it this way. I'm going to say it different ways to just try, hopefully one of the ways it gets across to you. Every single person in this room desires to be happy. All of us. Pascal said it. Augustine said it. And Lewis said it. Everyone desires to be happy. I am not a preacher standing up here before you. Listen to me. This is, stay with, this is deep. We're not talking about, Christianity is not something where we say, Follow all the rules and do this. No, it's you battle fire with fire. To see Christ the way Augustine saw Christ means you have to find something that is more beautiful than what the world says is beautiful. Are you following me? That's how you fight fire with fire. You don't say, don't do all these things because I think sometimes we have a distorted view in Christianity. It's keep me away from temptation of things that I really want, but I I want these things, but I know the Bible says I'm not supposed to have them. I have these great desires inside. I really want them, but I'm not allowed to have them. Bad boy, James, you can't have them. No, no, no. Christianity is, yeah, that's over there, 
but I'm going to focus on something that that's beautiful. This is more beautiful than that is. The only way to overcome pleasure and sin is to find something that is more beautiful, that is more pleasurable. You, you got your money's worth just there. You heard nothing else today. That's the, that's the gospel. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Did you just hear what I said? The catechism, the Westminster catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. We have made it. Listen, listen, I keep saying it. It's not about just read your Bible. Did you have your devotional? You can look and see God as as beautiful as Augustine did. What do we do? Because there's two, a bunch of sides to this, but on one side, what do we have? What do, some people say, Pastor Linda and I were talking about it. And I think some Christians say, God, it's up to God. God's just kind of going to do it. I'm going to wake up one day and ah, I'm just going to feel like Augustine felt, right? Like, he, like you're hearing about here today. That's what we see on one side. That's dangerous. We are supposed to be people as Christians. Listen, Jonathan Edwards, you may hear something about this father of the first great awakening. You have to lay yourself in the path of allurement. What can allure you to that? What makes Christ more beautiful for you? Those are the things you have to answer. I weep and I cry when I read books about saints from the past, when I read biographies. I have to be out in nature. I have to see him as beautiful. I have to see he becomes more beautiful. I touch him. I feel him. I experience him. It's not just stop those things, shun those things. I don't want any part of that. It's no, there is something that we were created for that is so much more beautiful than anything else that we could possibly see. He said, you know what he says in the beginning of the confessions, the most famous one? I didn't put it up here. My soul is restless until what? It finds rest in thee. A guy that's searching, he's searching, and he's searching, and he's longing, and he's looking, and he can't find it. Can I give you another story? He sees a former mistress after he becomes a Christian. How about this? And this woman sees him, and she's like, oh, Augustine, we had a little thing, right? He's not looking half bad. I just added that part. He didn't write about that. So she goes up to him. Hey, why don't you come up to my place? So good to see you. He really was invited. That, that's true. Why don't you come up to my place? So good to see you. You look great. And there's Augustine, a man later on. He's become a Christian. He's had more sex than probably pff, half of the ancient world combined. And here he is. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm just talking like it is. I don't whatever. I'm, I'm not religious. So I just tell it like it is. And there he is. And, and she, Augustine, it, it's me. And he's like, hey, I, yeah, it's great. It, it's good to see you. But no, thank you. And then he walks away. He rebuffs her, right? He walks away. And there is this woman that is like stunned. She is shocked. She is perplexed. She yells, maybe he didn't recognize me. Augustine, it is I. Augustine, it is I. Don't you remember me? And with that, he says to her, oh, I remember you. But it is not I. He became a different person. You see, he didn't fight it by saying, listen, this is... This is our heart as pastors. It's not, man, stay away from the woman. Stay away from her. It's I found something that is more appealing, that is more satisfying, that my soul was created for. 
If I had one sermon left, this is it. This is it right here. There's nothing else. I'm putting my stake in the ground right here. I'm an Augustinian, whatever. I'm an Augustinian follower. I believe everything he says. It's true. I love that story. See, I used to be that person, but you know what? It wasn't about love. I'm just kind of giving you my take. It wasn't about really love. It was about just getting what I wanted from you. But there was a black hole. And I was just trying to fill it. It really wasn't about you. It, wasn't about, it was just trying to find something that would fill this gaping hole inside of me. And that would fix my soul-sick life. That's what I wanted. That's what I was searching for. And I don't know for you. Fill in the blank. What is it? What is it for you that you're looking and you're searching for? We use all different words for this. But friends, as somebody, I can go back to the day in my own life when I was at a retreat and this man was speaking. And it was, it's almost 20 years ago, this March, and a light bulb went off. And all these men were, I wasn't going to share this, but I'll just, I'll tell you. All these men are praying. And one guy prayed. He's no longer a, a member of our church. He doesn't go. He's a nice guy. But he's praying, right? And something went off. A light bulb went off inside of my heart and I've never been the same. And there have been seasons, I'm under construction just like you. But let me tell you something. I have bet my entire life on what I'm talking about here today. That the superior pleasures of sovereign joy in God is greater than anything else the world has to offer. And here's the best part. Here it is, I promise. This is from C.S. Lewis. If you get nothing else from me today, you ready? Because you've heard a lot. Maybe you're like, I've heard this before. All right, the objection. C.S. Lewis talks about the objection because I know some of you are smart. And some of you are going, yeah, what do you mean then, pal? What about love and romance and a great book and a nice dinner, a nice glass of wine, right? Which I want to enjoy later on today, right? Again, I'm talking to the religious people. I am. Listen to this. I love a lot of things. How many of you are saying that? I'm not saying to you that devalues things that God has created in this world that are really like that you love. I'm not saying don't love those things that you just have to love God and you just have to spend time doing this. Are you ready? You have to see that if you love God supremely, you not only get God. I should have put this up. I didn't. You not only get God but you will find that what you have been loving in these things was actually in God. Can I say that again? This is, uh, listen, this is, CS, um, wow. You have to see that if you love God supremely, you not only get God, but you will find that if you've been loved, you, you find that what you have been loving in these things was actually in God. Oh, wait, wait, no, wait, let, let's, let, let's let Augustine tell, you tell us. But what do I love when I love my God? Oh, I saved this for the end. Not material beauty or beauty of a temporal order. No, no, the brilliance of earthly light, nor the sweet melody and harmony and song. I can't read it off there because it's on this side. It's cut off and it's bothering me. <laughs> Not the fragrance of flowers, perfumes and spices. Not manna or honey. Not limbs such as the body delights to embrace. It is not these that I love when I love my God. And yet when I love him, 
It is true that I love a light of a certain kind, a voice, a perfume, a food, an embrace. But they are of the kind that I love in my inner self when my soul is bathed in light that is not bound by space. When it listens to sound that never dies away. When it breathes fragrance that is not borne away on the wind. When it tastes food that is never consumed by the eating. When it clings to an embrace from which it is not severed by fulfillment of desire. This is what I love when I love my God. I just dropped a hundred bombs on you today. You better, they, you better go over these quotes from him. I'm... Is this something you want to read now? Just lie to me. Just tell me. Is this, I'm being serious. Is this something you want to read? Come on. This is, it's so beautiful. And it's so true. You know what the problem is? You know why maybe for some of you, and I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not disparaging. I'm not really trying to criticize. I just want to speak truth. I think for some of us in here, why it really doesn't resonate. You're like, this doesn't, I'm not moved by anything you said today, which is fine. Which is fine. It's not my job anyway. All I can do is prepare and give you the message of what this guy did and what he said. But I I think we live in a world where our capacity for pleasure has been so reduced. Because we live in a world where we could titillate ourselves with this thing, right? And, And we sit on here and we have the whole world in our iPhone. We got the whole world. in, And we think that we're not bored. You think that you have the whole world in your hands and you're not bored. But we are so deceived that this thing makes us really believe we're not bored when we're utterly bored. And you know what? The reason why for some of us it doesn't really stick is because we're looking to all these little things, these little pleasures, which I'm not saying they're bad, but they're not ultimate. If you give yourself to God, all of these other things become realer. They become more desirable. They become more satisfying. It's just prioritizing. It's put your life in God and you get everything else. Live from the inside out. From the heart is the wellspring of life. The wellspring. Everything is inside. But we go to YouTube. Oh, look at this YouTube clip. And we have a group chat and we're talking to different people. And we're laughing and all these things. And we think that they're going to bring us fulfillment. But they really don't. Not bad again, but not ultimate things. Augustine would say, bet your life on this. Lay yourself in the path. What, can I give you one last illustration? I promise I'm done. I was a little longer today than I probably wanted to be. No, I wanted to be longer, actually. <laughs> I did. Um, if you, like, here's an example. You can't make yourself, you can't make change happen. You can set your will, which is a good thing. Hey, Lord, you know what? I want to change. What if you wanted to get struck by lightning? Did he just say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you wanted to go get struck by lightning? You would get, what would we do, Bill? Help me out. What would we do? We'd get like a metal pole, right? Get a metal pole. Help me, right? We get a metal pole. I would drench myself in water. Right? I'd wait till there's a lightning storm. I'd go find the highest. I'd go to Bald Hill, Right? People are like, who's the lunatic up there, right? Who's, is there a tree up there? That's, I don't know. But I'm on a tree up there on Bull Hill. Just imagine. And I'm like this. And I'm waving the big... Is it all right that I'm using this thing? <laughs> and I'm waving the metal pole right there I am. That doesn't guarantee that I'm going to get struck by lightning. But it certainly increases the chances of something actually happening. Are you with me? When we lay ourselves in the path. So you say, all right, 
For the person in here that says, I don't feel any of this. Good, good. Be honest as you come up to the table. If you don't feel that way, here's what you do. First and foremost, you pray like crazy. I don't usually have this happen. On Friday night, I woke up at 2.30 praying just for this. I don't usually, it doesn't usually happen. 2.30, last night, 2.30. And I'm in bed and I'm going, really? Really? I really need to get up right now? I really have to pray right now? And all I could do was pray that we would see this. If you don't feel that way and you're cold, one more quote from him. You pray like crazy that he would reveal himself to you this way. That he would give you the desire to have this happen in your life. Don't criticize yourself. Don't beat yourself up. I don't feel anything like that. I don't see how pastor, I don't feel like Pastor James. That's okay. He can do something even today. 386, what happened to this man can happen today. And he says this. Where am I? Oh. Give me a man in love. He knows what I mean. Give me one. Music team, please come up. Start playing while we're. Give me. They're like, are we done yet? Give me one who yearns. Give me one who is hungry. Give me one far away in the desert who is thirsty and sighs for the spring of the eternal country. Give me that sort of man. He knows what I mean. But if I speak to a cold man, he just does not know what I'm talking about. You pray today. That God would reveal himself to you like that. And secondly, I know you're like, but you're the pastor and you're a preacher and you love history. You have to light yourself on fire with some of these people. You have to. I don't know how you're going to make it. When adversity hits you, where do you go? You go to the word, yeah, but look at other people's stories and how they handled it. We can make it, friends. And we're on the precipice Whatever your politics are, things have changed. In American society, I don't care what you think about what I just said. It's true. And things have changed in America. And there is a move and an outpouring. Oh, God, I feel, Lord, there is now, Lord, I thank you for the outpouring that is going to happen in this country. Lord, that you're going to drive us back to you, Father. I don't want to get into all the issues. We just want more of you, Father. I thank you that there are tons of churches around this country. Lord, that are praying to you to change, Lord, that we would see change. Father, bring us back to where we were a couple of hundred years ago with putting you first. Father, we want more. We need you, Lord, in this hour. May this wave, may this move awe and inspire, Lord, because I believe the saints from the past, they at least have a dim view of what's happening here. You may disagree with me as I'm saying that, but I, Lord, that people like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and Charles Finney and Charles Spurgeon and John Owen and John Patton, Lord, that all these people would be amazed as they look down and see, as the Apostle Paul looks down and sees, and they say, I wish I could be part of that movement. Lord, do it, Father. Give us dreams and visions. We don't want religion. I just want the real thing, Father. Just the real thing, as Augustine talked about in the confessions, what we were created for. Lord, we live on the planet of lost souls. We live with people that are searching, trying to find meaning everywhere. We were created in your image. Eternity, you said, in the heart of man. Lord, I want people to see. 
That's all I care about as I drive to work, as I drive, I want that person to see. Can that person see this? I don't care if they ridicule me. I don't care if they think I'm crazy. I know it's true. I know it's foundational. I know it's bedrock. I know it's who we are. It's how we were created in his image. Make that happen. Amen. I love this guy because he makes me want to love Jesus more. I hope you got something out of this today. Not a normal sermon. I really do. I hope you got, no, no, I'm not, don't clap. I'm not saying clap. I'm just saying, I hope, I hope there's a fire that's lit that you want more of him. Whatever you knew and had of him in 2016, may you get more of him this year in 2017. Not a time to play around. Not a time to be complacent. Not a time to sit in front of the TV set on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock and say, oh, what's the TV show? I missed it. I want to watch this TV show tonight. I want to watch The Bachelor. I want to watch this show. How about we get serious? What we were created for. You never, you're going to go to heaven one day? You think when you come face to face with Jesus, the first thing, I wish I watched more TV. Man, I wish I spent more time watching sports. and, and, and I don't, Really? We're going to say, I wish I spent more time on my face. Wish I spent more time majoring on the majors. This is it today. I could die. If I die tomorrow, I go, you know what? That's it. That's the gospel. Lord, I did the best I could in trying to convey that, but this is it. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.